Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter of Peter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 9 together this morning, and we'll especially be uh, focusing together on verses 3 uh, through 5, verses 3 through 5 of uh, 1 Peter. Last time we uh, began our, our study of this uh, book, uh, noting the identity of the, uh, the Christian as an elect exile, exiles in this world. We're not at home in the world of sin, uh, but we are also chosen by God. We are precious uh, to God and called for a purpose in this world of sin. And so we began with that uh, short introduction, and uh, so this morning we'll carry on uh, in this study. But beginning at verse 1 down to verse 9, this is uh, the living and enduring Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have this uh, awesome privilege again on this Lord's Day uh, to be able to have your very words uh, before us. You've told us that all scripture is breathed out by you. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, through whom this word was first written, would take that word now and apply it into our hearts and minds and etch it there, never to be forgotten. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't help but think that the Apostle Peter, as he uh, has uh, begun this letter for us and is writing this letter inspired Uh, by the Holy Spirit, I can't help but thinking that the Apostle Peter was excited somehow. Uh, We talked this morning in uh, adult education about how 
uh, you know, the Lord wants all of us, and he, uh, he wants our emotions too, and He wants our emotions and our, uh, our loves, of course, to be rooted uh, in, in truth. And it's not that uh, Pentecostals are emotional people and Reformed people are not emotional. We're all emotional, it's just we get emotional over different things. And the question is, biblically, um, what actually uh, drives our emotions in a godly manner? And the Bible's answer to that, of course, is the truth. Uh, the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. I can't help but think Peter is excited. Now, what does it take to get you excited about something? What does it take to make your heart leap for joy? Maybe a wedding. Weddings tend to do this uh, for us. Maybe a birthday. Maybe the, uh, the birth of a, of a baby, like Sigrid, you know, a couple weeks ago. Maybe a new job opportunity, maybe a new state to live in, um, maybe a new friend. Our family had two graduation celebrations this past week. Lisa and I were in Virginia over a week ago to celebrate Nathan's graduation from law school. And, uh, and yesterday, Benjamin graduated from Providence Christian College over there in, in Pasadena. Now, when we were at Regent University in Virginia, sometimes, uh, you know, someone's name would be announced across the stage, and uh, at one time, there was this whole section over to one side, they had these clappers, and so someone's name was announced, there's like thousands of people there, and they all started clapping these clappers, and uh, they were pretty excited. And uh, yesterday over at Providence, uh, you know, a name would be announced, and uh, not only would uh, people cheer and celebrate, but I, I'm pretty sure they were just, they were yelling. Uh, it was loud. Um, when that child of theirs graduated. Well, what does it take to get you spiritually excited? Not necessarily waving a hand clapper <laughs> or yelling, but to move you and your emotions, to move your heart to praise in however form that takes. But how does, what does it take to move your heart well, the reason I ask, of course, is because this passage of Scripture is clearly written by a man who was overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of God. C.S. Lewis once wrote uh, somewhere that we are far too easily pleased. We're playing in mud puddles when we've been invited to a vacation at the sea. You know, mud puddles don't get you very, you know, they don't move you very much. But, boy, if you're able to go to the sea, go to the ocean, go to, your, go to a beach house or something like that. Now, Peter, we know, has addressed the church here as exiles, that is, as aliens, they're pilgrims, they're strangers and scattered in the world. Uh, yet they are elect, they are chosen, uh, they are gathered by God, loved by God, foreknown by God, which means foreloved by God, predestinated by God. And so the apostle, we know, begins this letter uh, by pointing us to the incomparable grace member of the triune God, right? He had talked about the uh, being... Uh, uh, chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling uh, with His blood. So the whole Trinity uh, is involved in your call, in your, in your, in your being chosen, in your election, uh, in your being gathered uh, to, to God. And what Peter does in these verses 3 through 5 is string together really some of the most astounding statements uh, that we could ever hear. Uh, and this is how grace and peace is going to be multiplied to you. Remember, that's how he ended verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grow in, grow in the love of grace. Grow in the experience of the peace that we have because we are chosen and set apart by God. 
How does he do that? Well, in these verses, he does it this way. He tells us that we have been, something's happened to us. God has done something uh, to us. He has, in fact, the Bible says, caused us uh, to be born again, that is, born anew, to a couple things. A new life, which is characterized, this passage says, by a living hope. Uh, He has uh, given us a new inheritance, that is something that is uh, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And uh, we are uh, given also a new assurance, that is a new assurance that no matter what happens in our life, we are guarded, protected by the power of God. And he's excited about that. I don't know if you are, but you should be. So this morning, uh, we want to see from this passage what it is that the people of God have been born to. But of course, it's important to note here, of course, as we're beginning this letter, first of all, as, uh, as the Apostle Paul does as well in his letters, the Apostle Peter always begins his letters uh, by starting with uh, what God has done. You ever notice this in the Bible? That, uh, you know, rarely are we ever called to, uh, to do something for God without first being told, of course, uh, what God has done uh, for us. And that's the pattern of the Apostle Paul's letters. You see it in Ephesians, you see it in Romans, uh, you see it all over the New Testament uh, letters. The good news, of course, is first of all, always uh, what God has done. Because the Bible says, of course, we love. Why? Because he, right, first loved us. And so if you don't know that first, you will not love God. You will not want to worship him. You won't want to read his word. You won't want to pray to him. You won't want to serve him. You won't want to reach out for him. Because the only reason you love him and serve him and worship him is because you know that he loved you first. And and that's where Peter starts, too. He wants to tell us, uh, not what you need to do first, not what I need to do first, but what God has done first, you see. And that's the wonderful thing. This is good news in first. Peter. The gospel is not about simply being moral. The answer for sick and sinful people or people who Peter is writing to, those who have a battle on their hands against a world that's hostile, just like we do, remember? Hostile culture, hostile world. Christians are hated. If you're a true Christian, that is. If you actually live what the Bible says, if you actually quote what the Bible says in America today, and say, yes, I believe this, you'll be hated. And uh, now, if you don't quote the Bible, of course, if you don't live for Christ, you'll get along fine. But no, uh, the culture and the world is hostile to those who actually love Christ. And so Peter's writing to those kind of folks in this letter to uh, prepare them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to be faithful uh, in the world, but not of the world. And he doesn't do it by giving them a to-do list to put up on their refrigerator. Instead, he tells them what God has done. Now, notice, first of all, uh, as Peter tells us what God has done, um, you need to be praising him for it, right? Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Apostle Peter is going to tell us why he should be blessed. That word blessed, uh, the the word standing behind that, is the word that we get the word eulogy from, or to eulogize. It means a good word, a word of praise, like at a funeral. Folks have a eulogy. What are you doing there? Well, you're speaking, you know, no one gets up at a funeral and says, boy, this person was miserable. 
Couldn't stand this person in their life. Glad they're gone. No. No, it's a eulogy, right? It's a word of praise, and that's what you get. A eulogy, a word of praise. A word of all the reasons you can think of that you were thankful for this person. So blessed. Let's say a word of praise, says Peter, for the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Three things in these verses, all stemming from the fact that uh, God has given birth to a people, the people of God. New life, new inheritance, new assurance. First of all, we're born again to a new life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, born anew, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So in one sense, we are the church of the newborn. Christians are those who've been caused to be born anew. Imagine a church full of newborns like Seagrid. Born anew, a church of newborns. Well, what has God done? He's given us new life. What kind of life? It's a life, Peter says, that is characterized by a living hope. And all of this is according to his great mercy. Not a little mercy. Uh, Mercy, you know, is uh, the judge withholding punishment that you deserve. Great mercy uh, is taking a dead sinner, a guilty sinner, and giving them life. So right at the beginning, Peter's saying that all that we have is due to his great mercy. It's not due to you, not due to your work, not due to your intelligence, not due to your money, not due to anything of ours, but all that God does is due to his great mercy. And first of all, says Peter, he has caused us to be born again. That is, without him, there is no life in us. But in him, And through him, we have life. And in fact, the Bible says it's characterized by what's called a living hope. A living hope. Now, in 2022, uh, May is what we're in. I'm not sure that that you're going to get from outside the gospel and in the world around us a sense that people in our country have a living hope. In February 2022, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins published an article called COVID Depression and Anxiety. It said this, if you're experiencing depression and anxiety due to the COVID-19 pandemic, you're certainly not alone. Many are grieving loved ones who've died. Some coronavirus survivors have been left with debilitating health problems. Many others have lost jobs and businesses. Even those who have not experienced severe loss have endured months of disrupted schedules, canceled milestone celebrations, daily logistical challenges. Little wonder, says Johns Hopkins, little wonder, so many, so many are feeling lonely, frustrated, and vulnerable physically, emotionally, and financially, and not just outside the church, in the church too. Writes one doctor, Research supports what doctors are seeing in their offices. Certainly, the pandemic is causing distress. There's been a general uptick in emotional distress, anxiety, and depression, she says, this doctor. We're also seeing more patients for problems with alcohol consumption and sleep disorders. 
People with pre-existing vulnerabilities to mental or physical health problems are particularly at risk. She says patterns of anxiety and depression seem to occur in waves, much like COVID-19 itself. When the number of new coronavirus cases surged, so did people's anxiety and depression. That is, that is not a living hope. That is, that is despair. That's despair, you know, because of the world around us. But there's also, the Bible says, a despair of sin. You know, you can despair uh, because you realize that you are a sinner before a holy God. There's a sin that comes and a despair that comes from knowing that no matter how much um, we may desire to do the good, as Paul said in Romans 7, we still do evil. There's the despair that comes from knowing that no one is righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. There's the despair that comes from seeing evil men prosper and the people of God suffering all over the world. The despair that arises because the weight of sin in your life is a burden too great to bear and no relief seems to be in sight. You ever been under the burden and the weight and the despair of of your sin? Now, here's the thing. Peter, as he starts this letter to a church who's trying to be in the world but not of the world, says, listen, remember that uh, God has caused something to happen in your life. He has uh, caused you to be born anew so that your life, it's, it's a new life and it's characterized by a living hope. Why? Well, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that that despair uh, that you have as a sinner, uh, that despair you might have facing the, uh, the hostile world or a world of sin all around you and the consequences of sin, that that despair uh, is all dealt with uh, in, the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus so that you have a, a new life in him. And that life is characterized not by despair, but by a living hope. That's what God has done for us. It's a life that's filled, Peter says, with the hope of the resurrection. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through, where does this come from? Well, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why your hope is living, because you know that there is resurrection life. You've seen it in the resurrection of Jesus, who conquers sin and death and hell. And that if we are united to him through faith, not only uh, is our sin crucified at the cross, we died with him at the cross, But in that he is resurrected to new life, the book of Romans says, we too rise to newness of life. You are born anew. And you're filled with what the Bible says is a living hope. It's alive because Jesus, you see, is alive. And he is your, he's your savior. The devil has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And this is what Peter proclaims. This is what he says needs to be declared. He's given us birth to a a living hope. It's living because it's been secured to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't know if some of you have heard of the musician Phil Wickham, but Phil Wickham has a song called uh, Living Hope, and it's a glorious song. And the words are glorious, and this is, this is the words. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, I'm forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion 
declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. It's a great song. Uh, I was tempted. Oh, it's hard to read a song that you love and not sing it. But uh, I spared you that. That's what God's done, though. New life. Living hope. Born again to a new life, characterized by a living hope. But more than that, born again to a new inheritance. Listen again. By His great mercy. Again, that's the foundation of it all. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You get the impression uh, that uh, Peter is grasping for words here. Words can't fully describe. Uh, This happens to the Apostle Paul sometimes too. Words can't fully describe what, he's, what, he, what the Holy Spirit is, is you know, filling him with, that he's, he's to write. He can't, can't find all the words uh, as the Holy Spirit is carrying him along. This inheritance, he says, let me tell you, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This would seem to be something that we can count on. Now, we see that word imperishable again later in this chapter. It appears in verse 23. Verse 22 goes like this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God, the Bible says, as the instrument God uses of the new birth, Holy Spirit using his word. This word of God is imperishable. It is incorruptible. To perish means to die. To perish means uh, to be susceptible to corruption. But the word of God, the Bible says, is not subject to corruption or perversion in any way, shape, or form. His word is eternal uh, in the heavens, and it will not die. You will. Every critic of the Bible will die, but not the Bible. We think of corrupt politicians, right? People are not incorruptible or imperishable. Uh, They can be bribed. In other words, they have weak spots, and our bodies decay. We know this. They are perishable. The Word of God is not. It's incorruptible, it's imperishable. And so too, Peter reminds us, is our inheritance. But this is a different kind of inheritance altogether from that which we deserve. Now, you know what an inheritance is, right? Something that is, something that is bequeathed to you. Um, kind of like when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The Bible says that all of us, ooh, wonderful, we all receive an inheritance from Adam and Eve. You know what it is? Uh, death, Yeah. Sin, sinful nature, and the wages of sin is death. That's the inheritance we receive from our first parents. But in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 tells us of another inheritance, that which belongs to the children of God through faith, that is those who are born again, like this passage says, they're born anew. 
Uh, in Ephesians, in Christ, it says, the second Adam, we have redemption through his blood, Ephesians 1, the forgiveness of sins. In him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel or the purposes of his will. So those who are in Christ, not in Adam, but those who are in Christ, the second Adam, through faith in Christ, they have another inheritance. And uh, in the book of Colossians, it's called the inheritance of the saints. It's eternal life. Not just a life that goes on forever, but it's a different quality of life, you see. It's life in the Lord. Eternal life rather than eternal death. And Peter says here, that's a, uh, it's an undefiled inheritance. It will never end. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. You know what you do when you defile something? You make it dirty or unclean. You desecrate it. Uh, you profane it. It's to take something holy and treat it as, as unclean. Like let's say someone gives you for your birthday or Christmas or something like that, a, a very special Bible that they, they, they pray you're going to read and, and care for. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, you find, oh, you got so, so, much, so much stuff on your shelf. You take that precious Bible, you throw it in with all your old Encyclopedia Britannicas, and you go drop it off at the thrift store. That's to defile something that you've been given, right? This inheritance that we have in Christ, says Peter, uh, is undefiled. There's nothing uh, that will happen to this inheritance that will somehow make it lose its beauty or purity uh, or its glory, and it will not fade away. You know, that's the thing, right? The joy that you and I experience at a new birth or a celebration or an anniversary or a graduation or a new job or a new home or whatever, that joy fades away. It's over. It slowly begins to diminish and grow smaller and lighter and less clear, and as you get older, you just forget have ever received an inheritance that faded away. You know what happens to an inheritance. It gets spent. It doesn't last forever. James Hayes was working as an overnight security guard in 1998 when he won $19 million playing California Super Lotto. But he quickly went from prosperity to desperation. His ex-wife reportedly took half the jackpot money. Hayes developed a heroin habit, costing him $1,000 a week. Authorities say he resorted to robbing banks to keep up his lifestyle. The FBI nicknamed him the PT Cruiser Bandit and the Season Bandit because of his car and gray hair. In 2018, Hayes pleaded guilty to bank robbery, sentenced to 33 months in prison. Jay Summers was just 20 years old, 1988. He became one of five winners, sharing $28.9 million in lottery money in Michigan. He was a race car driver. He blew his first annual installment of $300,000 buying luxury cars. He couldn't keep up with his taxes, asked a business-savvy friend to help him manage his money. The so-called friend allegedly emptied out Summers' bank account, investing in shady business ventures that didn't pan out. Summers wound up suing the friend and delivering pizzas to make ends meet. It all, it all fades away. And Peter says, this inheritance that you have in Christ that God has done, God has caused you to be born anew too, uh, will never be corrupted, never tarnished, never diminished. It will never fade, and it is ours to be enjoyed for eternity. The unsearchable riches of Christ will never grow less 
unsearchable. And you know that hymn. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternal. We're born to a new inheritance, of course, communion with God himself. And that won't end. Everything else you pursue, by the way, will. So unless you're pursuing communion with God and the inheritance that endures forever, that is eternal life with him in and through Christ, anything else you're trusting in today will fail. You may not think so today. You think, oh, I'm doing great. This is going to go on and on forever. No, you're going to die. Or what you're trusting in is going to die. And it will fade away. Not this, says Peter. A new inheritance in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God's done. He's caused you to be born to this. And the lastly, born again to a new, a new assurance, you see. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the apostle had been building, of course, to this point. He needed to begin his letter by a grand declaration of what God has, has done in Christ. And so he has. He's told them of God's mercy. He's told them a new life. He's told them of their new inheritance. But you know what? The people uh, who first received this letter may have asked themselves at this point, yes, but, but is it for me? What if, uh, what if I fail in my Christian life? What if, remember this is a church under persecution that Peter's writing to, what if, as I'm seeking to be a Christian, that the the overwhelming flood of sin in the United States of America that is upon us and building, seems to be building, and inevitably will come over every church, no matter where you are, or every Christian wherever you are, and that persecution that will come, what if in that day, what if I fail? What if, I, uh, what if I can't handle it? What if, I, what if that time of persecution comes and, I, and I, just, I, just, I, just, I just give in? What if I'm suddenly overtaken and fall away from Christ? What if I can't possibly stand? What about then? You know, What good is all this talk about God's mercy and new life and resurrection and eternal inheritance do me if I can't stand the test of time? And again, friends, this is the grand declaration of the gospel. It's what God's done. Born to a new life, born to a new inheritance, and born to a new assurance. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who the Bible says, who, 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 by God's power, are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so a simple question for you this morning is this. How am I guarded or protected or kept? Well, I don't think uh, there is any better recipe for despair 
when you're seeking to be a Christian in a world that hates Christ, than to think that somehow uh, you keep yourself. We know our hearts. God knows our hearts even better. Out of the heart, the Bible says, come evil thoughts. Genesis speaks of evil thoughts continually or all the time. Ephesians says that by nature, that's what our, you know, our default setting is. By nature, we are children of wrath. That is God's anger against us for sin. No one is righteous, not one, the Bible says. We've all turned away, each to his own way. We continue to wander. We sing the song, prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I feel it. And friends, there's no greater despair that we can fall into than to think that somehow we're born to salvation by God's Spirit and then kept in salvation through our own strength. That will lead you to despair. Some may say we enter into life with God by His grace. Thanks be to God for His grace. He's caused us to be born again. But whether or not we remain in communion with God is up to us. That is, we're saved by grace and we live by our own works, especially Americans. And I'm almost an American, so I can say that. What do I mean? Well, you know, we love, don't we? We love the work hard attitude. I mean, the Western spirit, right? Go conquer, go conquer, the, go conquer the, the continent. We can do it ourselves. Um, but you know what? The Bible says we all stumble don't we? And Paul says, if you don't think you stumble, be careful lest you fall, because you will. David was a man after God's own heart that Uriah killed, committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're not protected or kept by our own power. We're not even kept by our own faith. We are guarded, the scriptures declare, by God's power through faith. Faith is the the instrument God grants to us that we might lay hold of, receive that power, the power here, Peter says, of Christ's resurrection, believing in Him, receiving Him, resting in Him. But we're not even saved by our, our faith. We're not even saved by our faith in Christ. The Bible says we're saved and kept by Christ Himself, by God Himself, by the very power of God. We are dependent on grace, friends, from first to last. Oh, I love this. The word guarded there could be translated protected or shielded. It's a military term that can mean to protect someone from danger. And so in Philippians 4, 7, Paul prays that our hearts and minds would be guarded or protected. To, uh, to prevent, uh, this word's also used uh, when you're talking about preventing someone from escaping. So in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's talking about his own uh, experience there, that the uh, city leaders in Damascus uh, set a, a guard uh, around the city to capture him. It's the same word. It's the image, friends, of Jesus the Good Shepherd in John 10, 28, who says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Why not? Because they are guarded and protected. And the word power here in verse 5 is the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. (laughs) So the Bible 
is saying, this is the position of the Christian. The one who has faith in the crucified and risen Savior is shielded, guarded, protected by the dynamite of God. Does that assure you? You know anybody who can get through the dynamite of God? Do you know somebody powerful enough to, um, to handle the power of God? Maybe you. No, not even you. <laughs> you see. Not even you can pull yourself out of the grip of the Savior, you see. Kept by the power of God. Oh, in 2 Kings 6, remember the king of Assyria is upset with the prophet Elisha. Remember that? Because every time the king of Assyria wanted to attack the Israelites, Elisha would warn them. And so the king, he can't stand this. And so he wants... Uh, to uh, really deal with Elisha once and for all. And so he sends a great army, the Bible says, horses and chariots uh, come by night. They surround the city, and Elisha's got a servant. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? It looked all over. And Elisha said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain uh, was full of horses, chariots of fire, all around Elisha. But he needed, of course, eyes to see. Kept, guarded by the power of God. And friends, that simply means this, that when we stumble, we look to God, not ourselves. That means that when we as a church family are in need, we look to God. And not ourselves. That means when we are tempted to despair, we need to hear and read about what God has done and speak a good word about Him. Blessed, says Peter. A word of praise to Him. That means that when we struggle, we need to lift our eyes to God Himself, to His mercy, His great mercy, His grace, and His word of promise. That by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we're not called to give birth to ourselves, we're not called to an earthly inheritance. And we are not called to protect ourselves under our own strength and power, but instead we're called to place our faith and trust in this God and in His Son. Is that where you, as a Christian in the United States in 2022, facing a hostile world and culture, is that where you are looking to be kept in this day? the God who declares his grace, this God who sent his son, that we might have life, friends, a living hope, imperishable inheritance, kept in heaven for us, and an unshakable assurance that the same God, you see, same God who gave the life of his only son for us will protect us, keep us, preserve us, shield us, guard us by his almighty power. And 
he will continue to work out his purposes in us so that one day Jesus Christ might be able to present us uh, to the Father without blemish, without spot, trophies of his grace protected by the power of God. You see, and friends, that's enough. That's enough to make the Apostle Peter and all God's people, you see, overwhelmed with thankfulness for such a Savior. Do you ever get excited about what God has done for you in Christ? May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we... uh, Our, uh, our human uh, words fail to grasp, convey these precious truths. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would immerse us today in these truths of your great mercy towards us in Christ, crucified risen, that for us here today, as we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, that we would know that living hope, that we would live for that eternal inheritance, and that we would be comforted with that assurance that we ourselves are firmly held in your hand. May it be so for your glory and for our good. Amen.